Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lou Weiss from Manufacturing Talk Radio. Unfortunately, Tim Grady's uh, still got some technical product problems with his uh, new equipment, so I get to do this solo, and I'm actually thrilled to do it because today we're going to do not our usual 30-minute show, but we're going to do a 46-minute show because this is really, really an important uh, event. I have with me today Kerry Jordan, who's Vice President of Product Management at Epicor. And you all know who Epicor is. They're big, they're software. Uh, I understand that they make something like a mil billion, million, a billion dollars in sales. Uh, and they're, they're really a very well-known company. And actually, we're going to wind up having them do a cover story for our manufacturing outlook easing. Uh, so you need to be on the lookout for that. Carrie, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Lou. It's wonderful to be here. Really glad to be a part of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So, Carrie, tell us, well, give us a little background about who and what you are. Sure, you bet. Right. So you mentioned uh, I'm on the product management team. I lead a organization of product managers, um, and we are really focused in on those products that are used by all of our businesses. Um, if you know Epicor, Epicor is, as you mentioned, a billion dollar uh, software organization. Um, we sell to primary industries, manufacturing, of course, being one of them, uh, but then also distribution, building supply, retail, and automotive. And of course, these industries are so intertwined these days. Um, and so my team builds solutions for all of them. That could be e-commerce solutions, uh, BI solutions, and we're really focused in on understanding our customers. What are their requirements? What are the business outcomes that they're trying to achieve? What are those competitive advantages? How are they creating new revenue streams for their business? Cost efficiencies, working with them to, um, to understand what it is they need to achieve. And then we get to do the super fun part of innovating new solutions, um, building something new and game-changing for them. Um, that's, that's the best part of, of what I get to do every day. So, is, so you have a software program, a platform, uh, it's customizable, I would presume. It is, yes. Whatever yeah. is needed. Uh, does AI play a role in that? I've, I've, I've got turned on to AI over yes. the last year or two. <laughs> I know, just about everybody has, it seems. <laughs> right. I didn't write the letter, though. Yes. <laughs> yes, we have. We, we're actually partnered with Microsoft. We're part of the OpenAI ChatGPT program. We have early access to their development program teams, their support, their resources, the experts, and we're building that into our platforms as well. So talk about being able to be a part of some cool stuff. It's, it's pretty exciting. We're going to unveil some new um, solutions here in the next few months. So more to come on that. But oh, We may have to have you come back. I know. I would love to. Yeah, you're on. <laughs> you're on. So give us, uh, give our audience some idea of some of the uh, Epicor solutions and yeah. problem solving and so on. And I gather the bulk of the biz your business is large corporations. That's, that's, you know, we actually have quite a few of smaller organizations as well. Really? So many of our, of them are family owned, um, 
all the way up to the the larger enterprises though. So um, yes, I would say we're in the lower to mid market, um, but then have quite a few organizations too in the upper market, those that are over a billion dollars and global enterprises. Um, So we do serve the full gamut and um, we're really focused on being their technology partners of the future. So we are best at industry expertise. When it comes to manufacturing, we have our kinetic application Um, This is the industry platform, best fit for manufacturers, and we do all kinds of things like MRP and, you know, production management, um, serial tracking, uh, so much within this core ERP platform. But then we do other uh, solutions such as CPQ. So if you are a... For some of our our audience that don't know, see all the nomenclature. You're right. Of course. (laughs) CPQ is configure price quote. So if you are a configure to order manufacturer and you want to create a visual experience for your customers to be able to build virtually products and you can configure, you know, maybe that's, uh, maybe it's sheds, maybe it's golf carts, uh, maybe it's, you know, a full, it can even be within building supply. Maybe you want to configure a kitchen or it, it, there's so many different um, ways that you can use this. Um, configure price quote is one of the solutions, just as an example, um, as well as business intelligence. So if you want to visualize the data that you have coming in from your ERP, enterprise resource planning, or financials, um, you know, operations data, and you want to see it all blended with your customer orders, that's another uh, solution that we would offer. So it really depends on what a manufacturer is looking to achieve in their business. Uh, We work with so many medical device manufacturers, metal fabricators, aerospace and defense across the board. That is pretty impressive. So I'll ask the next natural question. Do you also sell globally? Yeah, yeah, we do. We do sell globally. We're an international company. Um, We host our kinetic SaaS applications around the world. I think we're in nine global data center regions. I mentioned we're partnered with Microsoft. We run on the Azure data centers. Yeah, so we're in Southeast Asia, Australia. Uh, We're in the UK. We're in the European Union, Canada. Uh, We serve uh, Latin America, South America, of course, US. uh, other areas around the world as well. We actually just announced we're uh, launching a data center in the uh, United Arab Emirates. So we're serving globally for sure. Well, I, I guess the next question is when does Microsoft buy you? But that's the <laughs> whole other topic. We're partnered. <laughs> you were partnered. That's step that's one. Right. That's right. <laughs> okay. So uh, you and I had a, a previous conversation or two, and we talked mm-hmm. about a uh, survey that uh, Epicor did, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I read the entire uh, document. I found it incredibly uh, important. And so why don't we uh, kick off and go into that? Let's dive in. Great. Yeah, so you're right. So we did a survey of 600 frontline workers because we wanted to understand what were they experiencing on a day-to-day basis. And I think this is different because, you know, many surveys that go out generally go to the, um, you know, to the, to the C-suite, 
to the supervisors, to the bosses, to the managers, you know, because they're the quote unquote decision makers. Um, you know, and a lot of times vendors are, are going out to those folks because they have, you know, the agenda of understanding what it is that they want to uh, purchase and then, you know, in order to sell. But Epicor took the approach of the worker, the frontline worker, because we really wanted to understand what are their daily challenges? How can we best partner with these organizations? Um, what are the, you know, sort of ground up um, opportunities that we can help our partners, but then also to influence, you know, uh, really around the world um, to, to create better solutions for these very essential businesses, organizations internationally. Um, so we interviewed 600 workers. We found some pretty interesting takeaways. I, I will tell you this, that some in our company, All Metals and Forge Group, the metal uh, division, uh, some of our best ideas come from the employees. Right, yes. I, I don't think they're they listened to it. often enough. And they love it when we implement their idea. Yes. So we actually do the same as well. We have a crowdsourcing platform uh, that we have launched for our customers and they can go in, submit ideas, vote on them. And then we allocate a certain portion of our investment budget to bring to life those ideas that our, our customers have, have asked for. So I applaud you for doing that. I mean, I think that is, you're absolutely right. That is where we find so many of, of the greatest ideas. That's true. That's true. So what are some of the, uh, I mean, this was a really a long report. I forgot how many mm -hmm. pages, but uh, why don't we go over some of the uh, questions and answers. And I know that you've got some graphs that you would like to uh, share screen with so that our audience can sure. see exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go ahead and share that. You're right. I do have uh, quite a few um key takeaways that I wanted to share with everyone. So when it comes to those that really stood out to us, these are some of those top line um, key takeaways that, that we, we found and wanted to share with, with everyone. So we asked, I said 600 people around the world, um, and you know they, they self-identified as um, their job titles were assemblers and fabricators, production managers, operators, welders, brazers, quality control inspectors. Um, and you know, by and large, they had been with the company uh, uh, the, the, the most um, 10 to five to 10 years. And then the least was 10 years, or sorry, 20 years, 20 years and more people, it was about 6%. So if you can imagine, it was, you know, about 85% or so, uh, less than 20 years. Um, so it was uh, pretty interesting to hear what they had to say. So 52% said morale is high at their company. You know, we were hoping to find out uh, that that it was higher, right? That that the number was higher, um, but fifty two percent said uh, morale is high. Forty one percent said average, and seven percent said low. Um, so then we asked, you know, why? What makes what makes a company have high morale? And the majority then pointed to flexible work schedules, more paid time off, and receiving bonuses or higher pay. So of course, you know, we, we know that, uh, you know, morale would be tied to income, but I think it's also interesting to see that it's also tied to better work-life balance. 
Did this survey uh, take place during COVID? It actually took place um, in the late, like the second half of 2022. So this was like the October, November, December timeframe, 2022. Okay. So we were still in COVID, people working somewhat remotely, maybe some scheduling work time and so on. So, right. Okay. I was just curious. Yeah, of course. Of course. Timing matters, right? Because, you know, that of course influences, you know, how, how people are feeling and what it is that they expect and what they find to be, you know, what, what they need in their, their day-to-day. Um, so, you know, speaking of how industry uh, issues affect workers, you know, I thought it was really interesting to see that uh, the number one challenge that they pointed to was the high cost of raw materials. And I thought this was interesting because I think generally you would perceive the high cost of raw materials to be more like a sweet, a C-suite issue. You know, somebody, um, you know, on, on, the, on the highest level, CEO, COO, but it actually does impact a number of areas of frontline workers day to day. You know, rising costs could mean that they, you know, might not have the materials they need to actually work with on a day to day basis. Maybe they need to use different, potentially lower cost materials, and potentially that could mean lower quality. And then if you're spending more on raw materials, that could mean budget cuts elsewhere. And that could cascade to a higher workload, you know, making it more difficult to take time off, create more stress and lower morale. So do you, I think do that you has, have a graph on that. Oh, do I have a graph on it? I um, I'd have to pull up. Let me go ahead and see within the report itself, which we'll be sharing, right? Um, you'll you'll be able to see. Let me see if I can pull that one up in particular, because it is interesting to see, you know, uh, how raw the the you know the raw materials can really affect overall. Here we go. Okay, so. This is, this is a, a snapshot of the report itself. So if we zoom in here, um, the increased cost of raw materials being the top five or the, the number one, um, you know, top five work challenges. And then, you know, if we were to look at others, supply chain shortages, the workload, they pointed out as bad supervisors being on the list as well, and then slow delivery. So if we take a look at that, how it maps out, you can see the rest here as well. They also pointed out, you know, low morale being a challenge, outdated technology, um, you know, streamlined policies and procedures, keeping on schedule, meeting deadlines. 3% said there were no challenges, which is great. And then another 2% said managing inventory. So. Uh, did you, do you find that uh, the, the skill gap has had uh, an effect on, on on operations, on morale, on you know the whole uh, the whole Megillah. I think so, and that is so. You also see on the screen here, eighty percent said that their company is making upskilling a priority. Eighty percent, and I th I thought that that was a pretty huge. remarkable majority. Yeah, huge. Mm -hmm. They're pointing to um, on the job training having access to online training platforms, apprenticeships. This is definitely a focus area. And that means it's an investment area that the company is making overall. So I do think that this is having a, that that skills gap, they, leaders know that they need to be investing in their team in order to prepare them for the future, to prepare their whole organization for the future. 
We've talked a lot on Manufacturing Talk Radio about uh, students who go to college, uh, spend a lot of money, having a huge debt, 200,000 or more, 40% uh, of them drop out before completing and they still have the $200,000 debt. So we're talking to a lot of manufacturers about uh, internship, apprenticeships and so on. And uh, they wind up, matter of fact, we spoke to uh, the union, 601 union in uh, Wisconsin or Minnesota, I don't remember. They have internships and it's a, um, uh, it's an apprenticeship program, rather. It's a five-year program, and uh, they're learning and earning the entire time through that five years. And at the end of five years, they're, they're earning six figures with mm -hmm. no $200,000 debt. So I believe that, and we've been, I've been talking about this for years, that somewhere along the line, parents have to be taught the value of a manufacturing career. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a parent myself, I can tell you, I, I see this play out every day. And it is an extremely rewarding career. And you're making a difference in the world. One of the things that we asked was, um, why do you do it? You know, what do you find fulfilling as, as part of your career? And the number one reason was building something tangible that lasts. And the second was making a difference, you know, having a bigger impact. And I do think that manufacturing has an outsized impact on the world. And to be a part of the industry, that's something to be proud of. Why don't you come back full screen until you do another uh, uh, slide? Sure. Sure. Come back to, full to see screen. what you look like. All right. There you there go. There we go. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, in Europe, uh, particularly Germany, they have uh, their educational system is a combination of liberal arts and manufacturing, giving kids, teenagers, young adults, the option of getting the benefit of seeing both sides. Mm -hmm. And uh, it works very well for them. About two years ago, we were invited to a, a UN event where they had uh, educators from uh, uh, Germany talking to American educators at the United Nations, telling them about what we should already know, and that is about the, the split education value. And we would not have what we have now where we have 3 million open manufacturing jobs and no one to fill them. It's remarkable, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. We're right now, All Metals and Forge Group is looking to hire people. And um, we've had some interviews, not a lot. We had a lot of appointments made and telephone interviews. And then the one-on-one -on -one interview comes and there's no shows. So it's a little bit of, well, maybe you need to have a name and an address for the unemployment uh, board to yeah. get your employment check. So I think that the people, the adults, educators, they have to get serious about this. Yes, 
I agree. And in the meantime, we see the need is very clear. And without the supporting infrastructure that you know would be sufficient enough from schools, companies are taking it on. You know, yes. they're, they're doing it with their existing employees. You know, there's so much talk about automation, which is exciting. There's a lot that's happening in the realm of automation. And we've talked briefly about AI, um, but it takes people and it takes a new skill set, and they have to be trained on it. And it could be an incredibly rewarding career. Absolutely. And uh, not only rewarding uh, by being able to learn new skills, maybe earn more money, maybe having flexible work time, uh, a more fulfilling career than putting on your blue collar shirt that's dirty from four weeks ago and your hands are black, but being able to really create something, you know, wear the white uh, lab jacket yes. and create stuff. So, yes. okay, so let's, uh, let's take a look at perhaps another uh, one of your, um, one of the things that you talked about in the uh, report was the five reasons for high morale. Uh, and that's in part one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So let's dig into the reasons for high morale. So there were a couple of different things that we saw um, uh, the respondents saying. So I'm going to pull up that view of it so that we can all take a a look at what has what what contributes to high morale. All right, and that would be coming right up as I share my screen. <laughs> All right, the top five reasons uh, for high morale include number one, the flexible work schedule, and and I think this is interesting. We're hearing a lot about it in the news. I think as well, the top factor that causes the highest morale is having more flexibility in their schedule. Yeah. Um, very close second is more paid time off, obviously very closely tied to that flexible schedule. And then bonuses and higher pay. This one I thought was interesting. The fourth one that you see here on this list, 11% said management that focuses on listening to staff. So that means, you know, better work-life balance, of course, outside of work, but then also having a work environment where you feel empowered, where you feel like you matter. And there are changes that are potentially implemented because of, you know, management listening. Um, and then the last one here, 9% said non-monetary perks, you know, and that could be things, you know, as simple as sna snacks in the break room, uh, but also things like employee recognition and time off for volunteering. How about pinball machines and uh, that matters. That, <laughs> that is fun. <laughs> right. Right. That's what that's in the IT rec room. That's right. We have those at Epicor. Oh, you do? Oh, so you're <laughs> yes, right we up do. There. That's right. Okay. Full tournaments. So I think the next page, you talk about the reasons for low morale. We do. And I guess they're about the opposite of the high morale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, let me go ahead and um, check out the reasons for low morale. All right. So here we go. I'm going to share my screen again. Okay. And when we look at the reasons for low morale, this is, I think, especially useful for, you know, supervisors, business leaders. So you can, this is, this should be a key takeaway for, for you all. 24% um, said management, the biggest driver of low morale is poor leadership. I thought that was really interesting. Um, 
that, you know, one of the reasons, um, you know, I think that uh, this is really important for for this kind of survey is to understand. So what does it take to be a great manager? You know, what does it take to have strong leadership? And everything we talked about around training and skilling up your workers definitely applies not just to the frontline workforce, but also to upskill managers and to ensure that your training programs address the the management team to be better leaders of people. Um, Next on the list, 15% said inadequate response to issues in the workplace. So if there's something like a security concern, maybe a health and safety issue, if that goes unaddressed, that is a real driver of low morale within the workplace. 15% said lagging compensation. So if you know, the workforce isn't receiving regular raises, they might not know when to expect, you know, a, a raise or a bonus, even if you're planning it, if it's not regular, um, that, that could also create the perception that you're not investing in, in your workforce and that you don't value them as much as they believe they should be. And this is obviously especially difficult as we see inflation continue to rise. Surely. And then the, t- uh, the, the fourth one is 10% said the lack of communication. So if your workplace doesn't have, you know, a strong uh, communication infrastructure, that can also create an unhealthy work environment. One of the things that uh, I've heard a lot from workers and, and, and people in uh, larger companies and you have a, uh, a slide for that. The top three most enjoyable aspects of work. There are a lot of people that aren't enjoying work nowadays. Mm-hmm. And there are three things in particular that could make that a much more rewarding experience. So if you can bring that up, that would be terrific. I would be happy to, absolutely. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at that. Actually, I even added, there's three things there. I've even added a fourth one, but I'll save that for when you're (laughs) Well, I'm curious to hear what that is. All right, here we go. I'll I'll be happy to share. Excellent, good, 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 good. All right, so I'm gonna share my screen here. All right, so the top three most enjoyable aspects of work. So when we ask them, what matters to you, you know, on the day-to-day, what, where do you find the most joy? 27%, the most said being part of building or creating something with my hands, being able to create something, build something that's tangible and will last. That is, I think, pretty special. I mean, and universal. And then the second one here was 25% said contributing to the mission of the company. Uh, so that is pretty fascinating too. So I think we should all be asking, you know, as, as leaders, what are, what are, what are we here for? What are we contributing to the greater, to the greater good, to our communities, to our customers? Uh, because I think it, it matters more than we potentially realize that this is, I think, um, pretty enlightening that it is one of the most enjoyable aspects of work that somebody gets to be a part of something bigger than themselves uh, within the manufacturing space. Mm-hmm. And then the third one here, 20%, my coworkers, the team, you know, everybody that, that you work with on a, on a daily basis. Um, I think that is, that is heartwarming. <laughs> you 
daytime family, I call it. Yes, yes, yes. And, and to, you know, all the business leaders that I speak with, um, you know, those that have been successful in what they do very, very, very quickly point out the team. They thank the team. They, they point out that the reason why they've been able to achieve what they've been able to achieve is because of the team. And then I think that's right. Of course. Of course. So my number four is. Drum roll. Bop, 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 bop. <laughs> Individual success. Meaning not necessarily money, but maybe promotions, maybe whatever you determine where you are being successful. And that's a very individualized, very personal aspect. True. And I see that here within our own company, that when people succeed at whatever it is, there's a, something they did that worked out. So for a day or three, they really have a, a real go get them attitude. So individual success, I don't know what the numbers would look like, but I'd give it one point just because I brought it up. There you go. <laughs> well, you know, I have to agree with you. I mean, I could say from my own professional experience, you know, becoming a leader, working with people, seeing them succeed and, and you know, in probably a small part, small part, because I helped coach them in the right direction. But then all of the you know, knowledge that they bring to the table, their personal passion, and, and to see them direct that and then achieve whatever it is that they wanted to achieve, that is so rewarding. For sure, for sure. Um, there's one here, one of your slides where you talk about turnover. Yes. And uh, it's one of the things that I pride ourselves on that I've got, and I actually, because of this, I did the, uh, I did the math and I did the calculation that the average number of years that employees stay at my company is 22 years. We have virtually no turnover. There's nobody here that's less than 10 years. That's impressive. And, and one of one individual uh, who went out sick yesterday. He's here 29 years and I'm the only one who beats him. <laughs> so you have one of your screens uh, in part one is uh, number 13, mm -hmm. about the 45% say there's been more turnover than ever at their company. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really shocking. Mm -hmm. There's been more turnover than ever before in their company. Mm -hmm. And people don't like turnover. And I know that when we interview people for jobs, they like to see that one, the company's been here for, you know, not two and a half weeks, but the company's been here for 10, 15, 20 years. And the, the employees are here decades, mm -hmm. 10, 20, 30 years. So what's your, what was your take on this from your survey? I thought this was really interesting too. So we asked a couple reasons as to what type of organization are you looking for? And I'm going to see if I can find that to share with you as well. But I did just want to highlight for those 
um, you know, that, that are looking at this chart. Yeah, 45% said that they were seeing more turnover than ever. 47% said about the same and only 7% said less turnover. So by and large, we're seeing more and more. Um, you know, I honestly didn't expect to see those high numbers. Um, right. it was, it was pretty surprising to see, you know, why are, to see that how many were saying that they were going to be leaving. So, um, this is, this is one of the things that we saw as to like, how can you then, if, if there is so much turnover that's happening in the business, how can you create a better work environment? You know, so, um, this is really close to the reasons why there are high morale with uh, an, another addition here. So uh, the first being they're going to organizations that have more paid time off. Um, that ties really closely, of course, to the, to the high morale, right? Um, you know, those, those uh, companies that offer uh, the, the more flexible schedules, more paid time off, better work-life balance, that that is attractive to workers these days. And I think what the numbers are telling us here is that if they're not getting that at their current employer, they're willing to go find it somewhere else. Um, right. 13% said, uh, I'll take a little, little sip of water here. All right, 13% said the non-monetary perks um, are one of the reasons you know, why they, they would point to a better work environment uh, and then here we go again, seeing management focusing on listening to staff, but then here's this extra addition better that provides better tools and technology. So I, I think workers today, you know, aren't interested in um, a lot of the busy work. They want to get to what brings them the most joy, right? Building something lasting, as we talked about, um, getting back to manufacturing, being a part of, of the building. And we know that better tools and technology can help make a um, work environment safer. They can help provide you with more information faster so you can do your job and um, you, know, you don't have to go spend time building spreadsheets. Um, it also contributes to better communication among the workplace, better interactions, more, more efficient, um, fuller interactions, especially when we're talking about remote employees with, with your, with your um, coworkers. So having better connections. So providing better tools and technology, I think is a really interesting piece as to how you can create a better work environment for your workforce. Well, I have an interesting question related to that. Uh, we've been hearing for a long time that with uh, uh, increase in technology, um, and I'll throw in AI at the same time, uh, that people are concerned about um, losing their jobs because they're going to have robots, and they're going to have automation, and they're going to have this, that, and the other thing, and they're going to lose their job. Are they not really necessarily concerned about that? You know, as according media makes out to be right. You know, according to the data, no, it doesn't look like they're they're that concerned about uh, technology taking their jobs, which is, um, I think, the right way to look at it. Rather, it's more about empowering the workforce, 
giving them the tools, the technology, the access to the data in a secure way that they need to be more effective in their job and provide greater value to the business. And it gets back to your fourth point, right? Where you can have more personal success. You can achieve more personal success with that kind of investment that an organization makes in you. If you use, if you use my point in your next survey, I want credit. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's only due. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, it, it, we, we talk a lot about security and uh, cybersecurity and so on. You have a, a question on your page 15 of section one uh, about cybersecurity and uh, breaches of security. Uh, I, I'm surprised at the numbers, so I'll let you address that. So I'm going to share this so everybody can see. Um, and the numbers show, so we asked, would you be surprised you know, if you learned that your organization had a security breach? And 80% said yes. Yes, they would be surprised. Um, meaning that they, you know, don't think that security breaches are happening. Um, there are some shocking numbers out there in the industry that, you know, like millions of security breaches are happening every second around the world. It's extremely common. And the guidance that we give to our customers is, you know, you need to prepare for the eventuality that there will be a cyber criminal attempting a data breach. And that's how we, you know, we uh, prepare our business, our customers, not for if it happens, but when it happens. And there are so many things that you can do as an organization. And this is one of the areas that we uh, coach our customers on, give them advice and guidance, as well as provide solutions to help prevent security breaches, because it is so common and it's something that unfortunately all companies have to be prepared for. And, and the fact that, you know, it didn't surface itself to the workforce, that seems like the, um, the leaders are doing a great job, you know, protecting their business. Yes. That's wonderful. The second, uh, if you scroll down a little bit, the, the next point on that same page yes. where they, where you talk about the, uh, uh, sustainability of the company. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll just give you a, a short story and then you can go into the numbers. Uh, when Sa Hurricane Sandy hit New Jersey and where we are located, All Metals and Forge Group, where we were hit, uh, we're surrounded on three sides by the Passaic River. So Sir, uh, Sandy Hurricane hit, it shut down the whole neighborhood and by the National Guard and under order of uh, uh, Governor Murphy. And uh, we were out for five days. I mean, our entire business was shut down. We had no phones, no nothing. We came back and I, uh, as the leader, uh, I decided that this is never gonna happen. So it took us nine months and we created what I call the business continuity plan. And if it ever, and if we never used it, fine, 
But if we ever had to use it, the day we're shut down, the next day we're operational. And that's exactly what happened. Every employee, and I'm talking now the administrative side, every employee had computers, printers, scanners at home. Yeah. They had our phone, the phone system was rigged so that the receptionist who would answer the phone, for example, it would ring to her cell phone. And she was able to transfer the call from her cell phone to another cell phone. Or that, per oh no, you got the wrong one. I got to switch you over to Joe and then over to that. We were operational within, within less than 24 hours. And when we were shut down due to COVID, that's exactly what happened. And as a result, oh, yeah. as a result, people were sent home. They didn't want to go home. They wanted to work in, in the uh, administrative offices. I finally, I said, look, this is it. This is bigger than all of us. Yeah, so true. Said, go, <laughs> go. I tried to get them back now, three years later. No one wants to come back. They work harder. They work smarter. They don't work eight hours a day. They're working nine and 10 hours a day. And at weird hours, some of my salespeople are working at 10, 11 o'clock at night. Some of my salespeople are early risers. They wake up at four in the morning and see what came in overnight. It's amazing. They've done a terrific job. And that has proven very, very important to our sustainability and our credibility. Lou, I couldn't have come up with a better story to illustrate this. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, no, it, uh, it, 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 we've been doing it now for three years. Some of my employees I haven't seen in three years. Um, I mean, we do Zoom meet. We have two Zoom meetings yeah. a week. And, you know, when Zoom works, it's great. When it doesn't, Tim, uh, when it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Uh, but all the technology, and, and I guess you would say that we are sort of in, uh, including AI into our operation by using the technology uh, that's available. And a lot of it is not difficult. We just plug and play and everything works, Tim. <laughs> it should work. <laughs> <laughs> so that that being said, and this report, if I'm not mistaken, and we're we're not going to be able to go through. This was just section one of four. That's right. That's right. And it's a very extensive report, and I have to say, so do a little quick plug. We are following it up with the sister report, where we are asking now the supervisors, the C-suite. So we want to see how it compares. You know. That's great. That's great. So let me, I, I finished reading this last night at two o'clock in the morning. So uh, I didn't know where we were going in our conversation. Uh, I know that we, the show is a lot longer than we normally have, but uh, I would like to uh, uh, perhaps have you back again to continue this conversation because it's important, you know, you can read this and you can look at the stats and so on, but hearing, Hearing the, the, the voice 
talking about the the stats behind the stats. Of course, yes. So and we do that actually with the Institute of Supply Management. They came out with their report uh, on Monday and we have the committee chair and we call it the stats behind the stats and he explains mm -hmm. the report. That's great. And it, it's, it's probably the most popular show that we have. Mm. Uh, ten, tens of thousands of people listen to it. That's wonderful. I, I've even heard that presidents wait for that report to come out to okay. see what happened last month. Mm -hmm. Well, so, I am, I mean, it would be my pleasure to join you again. I'd be happy to. That'd be great. That'd be great. So that being said, uh, any parting words? There are a lot of really, sure. There are a lot of really interesting stats that I definitely encourage people to um, look at one of the things that I saw was really fascinating tying it to sustainability was 60% um, said that they'd be willing to take a 10% pay cut to go work for a more sustainable business. So just, and I'll just leave that there. I know we're out of time, but like, there's a lot a here to unpack. That's <laughs> a good cliffhanger. Yes, yes. Gary, thank you very much for joining us. It's a great report. Uh, it needs more than one reading, I assure you, to be able to get the full benefit of understanding as a manager or a C-suite uh, individual to get the full benefit and impact of this report. Epicor people did a great job. You did a great job. Um, and we will be talking to you on part two whenever we wind up doing that. So again, thank you. I appreciate it. And everybody, I just want to let you know that come to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're on every Tuesday. We are syndicating uh, on AMFM radio around the country. Uh, actually, Holden, New York. I salute you because we have had tens of thousands of downloads from a town of 8,500 people. So everyone, thank you very much. Uh, Carrie, we will talk about some of the things that we did talk about pre-show and uh, thank you for being on, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Lou, and thank you everyone. It was great to talk with you. Very well, be well. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.